Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and crime. I'm Sloan, your bartender for today. And I'm Trish, your crime tender for today. So grab a cocktail, buckle up for the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot! Beep beep! Welcome back to another round of cocktails with your bartender, Sloan. Today we have the beginning of another two-part episode for you, but this time Trish will be the crime tender. I'm usually the one that runs over on our time limit for cases and has to do the two-parter, but today it's Trish. But as a treat for you, for your bartending skills, I wanted to share one of my favorite like most simple ways to jazz up a cocktail and that is by flavoring your vodka with candy it sounds so dumb sounds so simple but it's really good so today i'm going to tell you about our new favorite and next time i will tell you about our old favorite way of flavoring vodka today we are making peach gummy ring vodka and what I did was I just went to the gas station got a small little bag of peach rings I put it in a small mason jar and I poured vodka until it covered up all of the peach rings really this is definitely to preference Um, the more candy to vodka ratio the stronger the flavor will be but if you really just threw like three peach rings in with one shot of vodka and let it sit for a day or two like this is easily done in smaller quantities but what we did was we put it in the mason jar just poured the vodka until it covered the peach rings closed it up threw it in the fridge it's best to let it sit for 24 hours at minimum by the time we got back to this it was a week later (laughs) so it was even better it was so good so good this is one of those things that you could literally just like pour it out of the container take a shot of it straight up but to make it a little bit more enjoyable and make that waiting time worth it (laughs) we like to pair this with sprite or club soda if that's your thing and that just makes it into a cocktail instead of a shot and it's good as is You don't have to worry about adding any extra sweetener or anything like that. If you did want to add something extra to this peach ring vodka, I would highly suggest we did peach schnapps. And it definitely added an extra sweetness to the drink. I don't think it's necessary by any means. No. But it was like a little cherry on top, if you will. So that is my little drink tip cocktail tip of the day today flavor vodka is the way to go next time i cannot wait to tell you about sour patch kid vodka because that is where my heart lies yes but look out for this recipe we'll have it on all of our socials instagram twitter facebook tiktok tequila she wrote across the board if you have any suggestions of cocktails that we could make with this vodka or just any cocktail recipes in general, hit us up at tequila she wrote at gmail.com. 
You can also send us an email there if you have any case suggestions. And we release our episodes every Tuesday and Friday. So I think that is it for now. And we will kick you off to the case. Hope you enjoy this one. Welcome back to another case with your crime tender, Trish. Today we are talking about a case that before Gabby Petito took over the headlines had me and Sloan and a lot of other people in the crime junkie community (laughs) just enthralled because it was the case that just kept on giving. And it still is the case that keeps on giving. To this day. Yes. But we are talking about the Murdoch family. And it, like I said, it's just a case. You can't even just pinpoint one part. You have to talk about all the things just surrounding this family. So this is going to be a two-parter. Sorry, not sorry. It's just there's so much oh we're really not sorry because i do want to aforementioned i have been following this one specific spot of uh podcast murdaw murders podcast they literally have she like is 30 something episodes 40 something episodes yes. up so the fact that we can limit this to two is miraculous if you want more information if you want to stay up to date on this kate case follow this podcast like i single-handedly credit this woman that mans this podcast with breaking this case wide open yes because otherwise everybody else kept sweeping it under the rug meanwhile she was behind the scenes as a lonely like not a lonely she's like a local reporter or something isn't she yes and she started reporting on this family and that was when everything kind of started becoming yeah it's this case literally once you think you get like through one part a whole (laughs) new side emerges and you're like what either that or alex murdaugh is like how can i try to (laughs) yeah how can i try to quote unquote fix this but i'm about to fuck shit up Oh, he's a train wrecking himself. So, all of that to say, if you find this episode, the next two episodes, interesting, I highly, highly, highly recommend Murdaugh Family Murders podcast on Spotify. I keep up with it weekly. Like I said, this is, we're trying to limit this to two, so I'm having to just briefly talk about some of the stuff, and she goes into major details on stuff that I'm just trying to gradually go over well and she'll be in the middle of she's from there so like she gets like firsthand like reporting well she'll be in the middle of reporting something historically and she's like guys i'm sorry to interrupt the story from last week but we have brand new breaking news (laughs) and i understand we had brand new breaking news two weeks ago and i had her interrupt this podcast then too but it's just one of those cases that (laughs) Literally, Alex Murdoch keeps coming out being like, oh man, let me try to cover this up. Yeah. <laughs> but it, he just keeps digging the hole. So, without further ado, let's just tell you about the hole that has been dug in South Carolina. North yes, Carolina? it's in South, South Carolina. Carolina. So, like I said, when this 
case first started kind of breaking into the news, it was just a couple months, I believe, before Gabby Petito just took over everybody's lives and not trying to glass over Gabby Petito and that because that was a major case and I'm glad it got the response it did because it just made people I am but I wish that all cases got the same respect yes but so this case started with a double homicide and we're going to get into it but first I want to talk a little bit about the Murdoch family because they were a very predominant family in South Carolina for three generations, spanning from the 1920s to 2005. They served as South Carolina 14th Circuit Solicitor, which is also basically their fancy version of saying their DA. And so this is the top prosecutor representing Beaufort, Jasper, Hampton, Allendale and Colton County counties. Sounds good. I should have looked up how to say that last one, but I still would have forgotten. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, so this is five different counties that this person is in charge of, and the Murdoch family for three generations had covered this. Run this shit. Yes. So you can clearly say they're a dynasty. They don't like to call themselves that. They like to think of themselves as normal people. Don't. Not all. <laughs> not all dynasties are like that. Yeah. But in America. Yeah. They like it's, to think of themselves as the same as the common folk. And guess what? You're not. So, outside of South Carolina, obviously, the, this family's pretty relatively unknown. And that was until June of 2021 when news of the murders of Paul and Maggie made headlines. I remember seeing this case pop up on my like Snapchat news thing I follow and I think I sent it to you and I was like, what the fuck? I don't think you sent it to me because I remember seeing something a couple of weeks later and I sent it to you and you were like, yeah, I've been keeping up with this case. I'm obsessed. And I was like, well, thanks for the info. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but so, like I said, June of 2021 is when this case just hit like headlines, basically. So on June 7th, prominent lawyer Alex Murda called 911 to report he had found his wife Maggie and 22-year-old son Paul shot at their home in a small rural... Uh, I can never say this word. Rural. Yes. I'm a country Mississippi girl. I got you. <laughs> community of Islington. And then at around 10 p.m. is when Alex is said to have discovered his wife and son murdered. He told investigators he had been visiting his father... Randolph, who was ill in the hospital. At 10.07, a 911 call is placed, and Alex is heard saying, I need police and an ambulance immediately. My wife and child have been shot badly. And that's basically what these people go off of. He doesn't, like, they kind of go into it. They're like, well, do they have a pulse or are they breathing? And he's like, no, no. 
they're they're gone, they're gone. And that he stays on the phone for a little bit and then he goes, I gotta get off, I gotta call family. But also he told the operator that he was not willing to go near them to check if they were still breathing or not. Yeah, like it's like he just pulled up on the scene and saw them with the blood and called into 911 and was like, hey, they're dead. Yeah, he it's Sir, do you know that for sure? <laughs> I mean, no, but yeah, I do know that for sure. If you listen to the full 911 call, it's crazy. And, like, the thing that I think I was, like, so flabbergasted by was the fact that he's on the phone with this operator. And then, like, police are taking a while getting there because he lives out in the country. Like, it's not like it's right down the road. He's just like, I need to go. I need to call some people. I have to call and let my family know that they have died. That's what he said. But yes, another thing that I remember being a hiccup here is that, like, yes, it was his home, but it was, like, their second home. And... Yeah, it's very... And the way that the that the phone calls were being made at that point, like the phone call originally went to the wrong 911 call center. Like it went to a different county and not the county that that house was actually in. So like there are a lot throughout this whole story, there are so many different things that are like, but this was yeah, it's, it's so like I said, this was the case that just kept you kept going. What? <laughs> So, he calls 911, talks to an operator and everything. Colton County's uh, county sheriffs respond, secure the scene, and at 1028 South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division, also known as SLED, arrive, and by 1147, like, they take over. So, that's, like, the main case that started this whole thing out. So, we have a little kind of timeline of events leading up to this, and then we get back into this. So, I'm going to try to go through this as quickly as I can, because, like I said, we have a lot to cover. <laughs> so, June 8th is when you have the identities of Paul and Maggie confirmed, and... It's referred to as a double homicide by authorities, like, of the state, and said, and they say that there is no threat to the public. Meanwhile, they have nobody, like, in custody. They don't know. They're just saying... Don't worry about this. Yeah. It's rich folk. <laughs> June 11th, there's a graveside service held for Paul and Maggie... And on June 14th, the Colton County coroner confirms both Paul and Maggie died from multiple gunshot wounds, with the estimated time of death being between 9 and 9.30. So he arrived around 10. So if it was at 9, they'd been gone for an hour. If it was 9.30, they'd only been gone for like 30 minutes. So here's my thing. If you were... If it was 9.30, you had to have passed somebody. You would think. But. You arrived so soon. Yeah. Within the time frame. It's just crazy. June 16th, 
SLED creates a 24-hour dedicated tip line. And on June 17th, Alex's brother Randy and John appear on an exclusive interview with ABC News where they plead to the public for information. They said that they don't know if the family had any enemies and that Paul had received threats. And we'll get into why Paul had received threats. On June 20th... he's a little shithead. He is. Spoiler alert. June 21st, an 18-page redacted incident report is released. And it states that there were two different firearms used to kill Paul and Maggie. Which makes you wonder, was it one person or was it two? We have no idea. Like, to this day, I believe... Don't remember anything coming out saying that they have it, that they died at the same time. Oh, yeah. We still don't have answers for this. And I feel like that is mostly because they're trying to keep it under wraps because this is still steel. (laughs) This is still under investigation. Like, and it's all very fishy. There's so much. (laughs) Like, you look, you can. You can go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole with this whole thing. Cause, I have. Whew, I have. I mean, I have to. And I'll to. take you down all the rabbit holes. <laughs> I mean, I have to. So, yeah. So, you have them finally releasing that Paul and Maggie were killed with two different guns. Paul had been shot multiple times with a shotgun, while Maggie, who was 52 at the time, was killed with a semi-automatic rifle. So, like, you have a shotgun for one and a rifle for the other. I feel like a shotgun is a much more bloody way to die, I guess. Because usually the gunshot wounds have a higher impact and a rifle is, like, a very quick shot. So, whoever killed them, I feel like, whether it was a revenge killing or, like, a cover-up thing, they wanted Paul to, like suffer (laughs) and maggie just maybe was in the wrong place at the wrong time or they just wanted a quick death for her i don't know yeah it's just it's very both are fair conclusions to jump to yes so that is kind of like the timeline for like that part we do get a little more information but i want to jump into why paul had received death threats or why I believe Paul had received death threats. I'm sure you can probably look into them and you can see why. So you have Paul and Maggie's death in the news. And reporters start doing what they always do. They start digging in to the past and trying to pull up stuff and everything. And so are the police. But, you know, the police don't make it public unless they absolutely have to. They think it's going to lead somewhere. Mm-hmm. But reporters and that are going to put it out there because that's what's gonna sell that's what's gonna get people interested that's the headline yes so we find out that this isn't really paul's first run-in with tragedy of any kind so you have their deaths in the news and then we find out that 
Paul had been facing three felony counts of boating under the influence charges concerning the accidental death of 19-year-old Mallory Beach. Yep. So... This was, what, a year before, two years before? This was in... I'm getting there. This was in 2019 that this happened. So, in February... Yeah. In February 2019... Paul allegedly, they they like to use the word allegedly, right? Even though it's not very allegedly, was driving this boat. I mean, on paper, it's very allegedly. Yes, but if you talk all firsthand accounts say no, he was driving. Yes, Paul was driving his family's boat, and he crashed it into a bridge. And Mallory got ejected from the boat and went missing for, like, I get into it. I think it's, like, eight days. But, like, they got into this accident. She got ejected. Paul is only 19 at the time of this accident. And we'll get into the details. And I want you to remember, he is 19. Mm Mm-hmm. But a rich boy, 19. Uh, yes. So, the like I said, the boat he was driving belonged to his, his father, Alex. There was an ongoing civil suit also filed by Mallory's mother against the Murdoch family after all this. And, again, some of the local establishments that are involved in this whole thing. You have this small town that this family is in and i don't know if you all grew up in small towns but i grew up in a small town you know everybody's business you know when people are of age and not and even if you're not sure you can look at an id and say that's not you you at least know if you don't know the person specifically you know the family yes the the this boy pulled up and the ID said Murdoch. Yes. Murdoch. So <laughs> Murdoch. It's it, really weird. It's it's literally the last name. I've Murdoch. heard it said it both ways. So like I said, this is a small town. So you think no matter what. People are going to know if this kid's using a fake ID. And if you have morals, you're going to say, that's not you. I can't sell you alcohol. Because he is a Murdoch. Sorry, I'm allergic to bullshit. <laughs> because he is a Murdoch. They pretty much went, all right, cool. Here's your alcohol. So, you have... Oh... Okay, again, my notes jump around just because, like, literally places I was, like, I was watching a 2020 special, and then I was, was, like, also researching, so my notes are everywhere, so I'm trying to piece them together, and I do apologize. So, you have this accident in February of 2019, where Mallory was ejected. She ultimately does end up dying, like, when they discover her, she's dead. She got injected into the water. I don't think they ever said, like, obviously she drowned, but, like, I don't think they ever said if she had other, like, 
if maybe like she hit her head on something before entering the water or what but like i mean the whole scene was a freaking mess yeah like oh. i'll get into it because it's oh it's a hot mess hot mess express for sure <laughs> but so you have this and basically like they were drinking he is 19 he's driving this boat and they crash she gets ejected well this isn't the only death that is linked to paul or the murdoch family the thing about steven's death is it's ultimately ruled as a hit and run but you have his car found up the road and it has run out of gas. He is only about six miles from his home. And they want you to believe that he got out of his car and started walking down the middle of the road to like either walk home or find help. At first, police thought Stephen's death was a homicide inside head wounds that appeared to be gunshots. However, the autopsy ruled his death to be a result of pedestrian vehicle collision. And the thing that is so weird about that is you would think if he got hit by a car, especially because they like to say that the head wounds was him getting hit by a mirror. They like to say that it was a semi-truck or like an 18-wheeler or something like that went by and his head clipped the mirror. I'm not buying it. Yeah. So, here's the thing. No debris was found around his body. Right. If you, if a mirror hit him, something would have come off. Like, paint on his body, a piece something. of the mirror. Yes. Something. So, there's no debris. Steven still has his shoes on. Which... Usually when you're hit by a car or anything, the force of it is going to knock your shoes off of your feet. My mom and my aunt and my brother and my cousin were in a car wreck one time and they were inside the car and my brother's shoes flew up through the windshield. Yeah, like there's no debris. He still has his shoes off. He shoes on. He is found in the middle of the road. Also, Stephen had his phone. He is 6 miles from home. He has his phone. So, they're trying to say that he was walking in the middle of the road, hit by some mirror of, like, a semi-truck. Still has his shoes on that, but that's what killed him. He didn't try to call anybody. That's what killed him. Steven's mother, obviously, is very skeptical of all these reports and that because he's six miles from home. He could have very easily have called someone for help. So... No one's ever been criminally charged with Paul's, not Paul's, <laughs> with Stephen's death, but Paul is like a main suspect. They've also thrown out Buster, his older brother's name, but they're pretty sure it was Paul because Stephen was a gay man, an out gay man in a small southern town, so he had a huge target on his back. And if you're gonna attack someone, wouldn't you think someone with a very prominent name who doesn't think they're going to get caught or picked up by police is going to go after said gay man? 
Yes, but also in the back of my mind this whole time I've been like, and I also think I remember some high school students saying this too, but I feel like maybe Baxter had a relationship with Steven. Because why else would you specifically target this one man? Yeah. It's, and there were some high school students that graduated with Baxter. That Buster. Ha- with Buster. With Buster that had like rumblings of. Yeah. It's just. This is like the first case that kind of starts putting like a tarnish on the sons yeah. of the Murdaugh family. There's another case that I'm going get, to get into in part two. That I think is the kind of first rumblings of a Murdaugh family. <laughs> but this was like part one. Oh, this was definitely like under wraps. Until yes. everything started coming out. And then you found out about the boating accident. So we have these two prior incidents that have happened. So now along with Paul and Maggie's death. Sled is also looking into these other two incidents. So, you might not have anybody named as the murderer of Stephen Smith, but if Sled's looking into it in relation to the Murdaugh family, like murders, like, clearly that states that there's stuff linking them, for sure. Like I said, this case has so many twists and turns from the start that I remember during, because this was like right around like lock, like kind of mid lockdown or like the end of lockdown, this kind of broke, that I remember waking up and immediately always checking my phone and being like, what's new? Um, In my head, I still think it's 2019, so don't ask me. <laughs> but, so... Went into the little bit of the Steve that the Stephen Smith case. There's not too much that's released about, and I think it's just because they're trying to hold stuff close to their chest about it. They've released a little bit to see if anybody's just heard stuff that they're like, "Oh, so and so was talking about it." Mm-hmm. Well, and that's how uh, Buster's name came about. Yeah. So nobody came forward to the police. It was. Them hearing rumors around the town. Yeah. Oh, the Murdochs had some. Murdochs had something to do with it. Yeah. So it's that one. There's not much about the Mallory Beach case, though. There's a lot. There's so much about. So this Mallory Beach case seemed to get the most attention out of the two because one, it has a direct link to Paul. Like, you cannot deny this has a direct link to Paul. And it, like I said, there's just, there's so many firsthand accounts because the amount of people that were on the boat. And this was not a big, like, yacht. This is just, like, a little, like, boat that is really only supposed to hold, like, four, maybe five people at most. And we find out that this had... Paul and his then-girlfriend, like, a cousin and their, like, his girlfriend, Mallory and her boyfriend, and I think that was it. There might be another couple, but there's at least six people on this boat that should not have all been on this boat. 
So February two, sorry, February twenty fourth, two thousand nineteen, is when Mallory Beach went missing after a boat crashed at Archer's Creek. You have photos from the scene that show damage to the boat, bloodstains, and numerous containers of beer. Again, this is a bunch of 19, 18-year-olds. Maybe 20. So, on February 23rd, Mallory and her boyfriend, Anthony Cook, planned to spend Saturday night at a house party and oyster roast. They were with their friends, Connor Cook, who was Anthony's cousin, and his girlfriend, Miley Altman, and... They first meet up at what is referred to as Murdoch Island, which was the river property owned by their friend, Paul, <laughs> like his family. So, like I said, you have the rural, uh, like, spread that is where Paul and Maggie were killed. And then you have this riverside property mm-hmm. that they also own. So... Paul and his then-girlfriend, Morgan Doherty, Doherty, I don't know, were going to the party as well. So they all decided they were just going to meet up at Paul Paul's family and, like, just kind of go from there, take the boat, whatnot, because the place they were going to is pretty much accessible by boat only like there's maybe one road but it just it takes forever it's much faster to go by boat earlier that day paul goes to this gas station and using his older brother buster's id paul purchased alcohol and there's actually video surveillance of him walking back to the like truck that's hauling the boat and he's holding up the alcohol like He made this, like, giant, like, he made this big purchase. He got away with it. He's, like, proudly displaying it and that. And so, like, you literally have this kid on camera being like, yeah, I got it. It just makes you so angry when you get into, like, details of this. (laughs) So, he uses his older brother's ID to purchase alcohol. And he loads it into a cooler in the boat. And then the group drives off to where we assume they're docking and taking the boat into the water. At around 7 p.m., the group left by boat for the house party where they spent several hours going, like, going to the oyster roast, eat, and then they leave to go back onto the boat. But, like, they don't take it out. They just, like, walk over to the boat where their alcohol is. And they're drinking. And there's adults there. They're witnessing this. They're not saying anything. They all know what's happening. Yes. They're just all like, whatever. And at around midnight, they all leave the party. So, you have these underage kids that have been drinking. And these adults just let them leave. So, like I said, around midnight, they leave the party to go on the boat again, and Paul insists that he is driving, and they go to a bar in downtown Beaufort. And records show at around 12.45, the group docks, and Paul and Connor went inside the waterfront bar 
and took two rounds of shots. Like, it was a very quick two rounds, too. Both of them used a fake ID to get in, and the rest of the group just kind of waited outside, waiting for them to return. Around 1 a.m., they head back to the boat where Paul is intoxicated and acting very rash around the others. Like, there's video surveillance of them walking. Paul is, like, kind of stumbling and, like, swaying, and that you can clearly tell just by video footage. He is not in the right state to be driving. What you also see on this video footage is a very sweet moment between Mallory and Anthony. Yeah, I was like, making sure I get the right name. Mallory and Anthony, like, they're holding hands and just kind of, like, joking with each other. And it's very sweet, like, very sweet last moments together, like, on video. At around 1.15, the group is seen boarding the boat and taking off. And according to Miley, some of the group started arguing. And Paul was one of the like main ones that was argumentative. And he started driving in circles and acting drunk. He also, for some reason started stripping and got all the way down to his boxers. I mean, it's not an unknown reason. I'm sure you get to it. Yeah, I mean, apparently he this is how he acted yeah. when he was drunk. He had, like, a different... They call it, like, an alter ego when he drank. I forget what name they said it was, but I was like... I want to say it's something like Bruce or something I like that. I don't know. But as somebody who has a drunk alternate personality, <laughs> I totally buy into this. However, mine is way more adorable. The name is Gaston, <laughs> like Beauty and the Beast. And it's because whenever I was in college and my roommates and I would get drunk, we would always sing Gaston because... Beauty and the Beast is my favorite Disney movie. So, like, me and my best friend, I would be Gaston. She was LeFou. So, it was just a thing. And it became, every yeah. time I would get drunk, they would call me Gaston. And it was a thing. So, I get the drunk alternate personality. 1,000%. I get it. But whenever you were talking about him going up to the bar, taking the shots, and you could clearly tell that it was not him... At that point, I wanted to be like, yeah, because it was Bruce or whatever. <laughs> yeah. like, it, it, it's not him. It is a teenager whose brain is still developing, drunk out of his fucking mind, yeah. and it, doesn't know how to handle it. It's just, like, it's crazy. Um, as, as bartenders, this is why we ask to see IDs, because... As I get One, in, as I don't you want to lose my job and get yeah. thrown in jail. As you get into like this whole case, and then like even if you're just looking at this case in general and you're following up with stuff, the the convenience store where the alcohol was first bought has been, and the employee that sold the alcohol has been like filed lawsuit again, like after lawsuit against the bar has been brought into it. And I'm pretty sure the employees that, like, were on the clock around then, too, have also been. So, like... And a lot of those charges have been dropped as the case has progressed. But the point being, whenever you serve that alcohol, you are held liable for the actions of the person that consumes that alcohol. So, 
When we asked for your IT, we're not trying to be dicks about it. We're just trying to keep our job, okay? <laughs> so whenever the cop asks me, did you do your job? I can say, yeah, I did. Thanks for asking. <laughs> but, so, you have this alter ego basically taking over because Paul is drunk out of his mind. He is stripped to his boxers. You have Anthony and... I believe Mallory even asked also to basically have him pull over and just let them off somewhere. But like when you get so far into this like creek that they're on, there's not really a place for them to pull off and just let them over. But also he's like, no, you're on my boat. I'm driving. You're stuck. And as he's getting more angry, he's just accelerating more and more. And Miley also said that Paul kept leaving the wheel to fight with her and his, like, girlfriend. Who they had previously stated he had been not necessarily, like, abusive with, but, like, definitely in her face, argumentative, and, like, very, it's my way or the highway, get the fuck out, bitch. Yeah. He also fought with Mallory, which I don't think I ever knew. He even slapped her and cursed at her. Oh, no. He, he literally fought with everybody on that yeah. boat ride. Yeah. Like, it was it just... <sighs> they were all trying to get him to do the right thing and let somebody else take over the wheel or something. And he yeah. was like, no, this is mine. I have this. Yeah. And then at 2.20 a.m., The boat then crashed into Archer's Creek Bridge. It didn't actually crash into the bridge itself. It hit, like, one of those, like, kind of barrier things that they have. The the structure that holds it up in the middle, right? No, they're, like, the way this bridge was, like, yes, you do have the stuff that's holding up the mill, but they had, like, little, like, protector things in the water to try to, like, Basically make it so that if anything was going to crash, it might hit that before it actually hits the bridge itself. So, like, they hit this little structure, and that's when all hell breaks loose. Because Mallory is immediately ejected into the water. When you get into, like, where everybody was, she was apparently sitting on her boyfriend's lap. So, you hit this structure. You're not even on anything that you can, like, really grab onto or whatnot. You're holding on to somebody. So, she goes flying. He also went into the water. And they basically all kind of get their whereabouts and whatnot. And all of a sudden, they realize Mallory's missing. And they immediately all start yelling, call 911. And Connor is the one that is, like, the first one to really get through. And you just hear him begging for help. It's not even his girlfriend, but he's, like, basically, like, there's an accident. Someone got ejected. We can't find them. Please come help. Please send help. When first responders arrived, they immediately began searching for Mallory And Beaufort County Deputy Sheriff Stephen Domino was one of the first responders to arrive, and he found Anthony pacing 
and very distressed. I mean, obviously, his girlfriend's missing. He got him to sit in his patrol car and basically, this is all caught on, like, surveillance from, like, body cam footage and, like, the police cam footage and that. And all of a sudden, Paul comes walking up from, like, the water and that. And Anthony sees red because Paul is smiling and just kind of laughing, joking around in that. And like I said, he sees red because he knows that this man is why his girlfriend is missing. Like, there is video footage of him being like, keep that fucker away from me. He's why my girlfriend's gone. I also feel like the 911 call is important to mention, though, and it kind of got skipped over here. But in the 911 call, when they called in the boating accident, the, um, what's it called? The person that answers the phone, they, it, it was just a constant back and forth. And they're trying to figure out where, where they are. And Connor was like, it is literally the only bridge on this road. Yeah. And somehow the emergency people get sent to another location. So it took them double as long to get to the actual boating accident. Yeah. So that is a huge source of stress for everybody other than Paul. (laughs) Other than Paul. But it's definitely something to bring up here that the 911 call that was originally placed to get help was absolutely botched to the point to where the person that took the call ended up retiring from the job within yeah. a few weeks after the phone call. Um, but if you if you were to look up that 911 call, it's, it is a huge piece of this case. Too. You can also watch, uh, there's a 2020 special, and it's called like the fall of like the House of Murdoch or something like that. And it kind of goes into a lot of stuff, but they, like, heavily, like, fixate on this case in particular. And, like, they sh- they play the 911 call. They also play some of the footage from, like, the dash cam and stuff. So, like, I mean, you see a everything. Lot of, a lot of people feel like this case is the reason that Maddie... Maddie, right? Maddie Mallory. And Paul, Maddie, well, Maggie and Paul. Maggie and Paul. Maggie and Paul. Maddie and Paul. Maggie and Paul were murdered, and especially considering, like, how shady you find out that Alex is, it's definitely plausible that, like, he knew that his son was putting a blemish on the family name and, like, put a hit out on the son, and, like, the, the wife was just there just in case, but it all kind of stems from this boating accident, because while there was the one incident with Steven, Steven, the murder of Steven, that did not really reach any conclusions at nope. all. Whereas Mallory Beach's mom was hell bent on somebody paying for the oh, yeah. for her daughter. So yeah. So like I said, you have the 911 call, you have the dash cam footage, like Anthony is distraught and he's like losing it. He's trying to get to Paul and everything. And then you also, once the police officer kind of gets him calmed down in that, you also hear Paul uh, Anthony bring up, do you know who that is? Do you know who he is? 
that's Alex Murdoch's son. So in his mind, he's like, you know who that is. He's never going to get charged with anything. He's a Murdoch. He's never going to go jail for this. They're going to find some way to get him out of it. And so at least three police officers that were on the scene also had connections to the Murdoch. Like, family. Because, like, they had people over for barbecues. They went hunting together. Like, they were... I mean, they ran the political circle. Yes. They literally made it so that they were known in the town, and if they ever had a run, like, they just pull out their name. Along with the clusterfuck of what this investigation starts out as, like, you have all there's like i think three different precincts that show up to try to start like investigating and doing stuff for like the scene but the one that has the like jurisdiction because of the fact that it happened in the wire and that is oh, what's the i forget the like agency but it was basically like co- basically the coast guard for that area but still you have all these other ones that are taking over and at least three of the cops if not more have direct connections to the murder family and it's just so when investigators assess the scene they're they look at the boat they see the damage and there is what appeared to be blood like on the boat floor and some major damage to the boat also, the boat had no headlights or lights that would help them see in the dark of any kind. So, they're literally using, like, flashlights and, like, cell phone lights to, like, guide their way. So, <laughs> that in itself is, like, a ticket itself, yeah. but never gets filed. Also, there is almost no evidence gathered. Paul's clothes they stripped out of, his dropped cell phone, his wallet, anything like that, never collected. It's all given back to him. All the passengers, except for Anthony, who wanted to stay behind to, like, help search for his girlfriend, wait for his girlfriend to be found, whatnot, they all go to the hospital. Connor has a broken jaw. Morgan's hand was badly injured, and that's what they assume is the blood on the floor of this boat. It's from the injured hand. And Paul, on the other hand, is very uncooperative once he gets to the hospital he is just acting like you can't tell him what to do he is too big to be here and be held in question all this they draw a blood sample and even hours after the crash his bac level <laughs> is point two four which is three times over the legal limit. Well, yeah, he took two shots at the bar. And he'd been drinking all that. He'd been but drinking like, the whole day. So his blood alcohol level is through the roof, like, and he's underage. So when officers tried to finally question Paul, his father and grandfather walk in and immediately stop questioning. They're like, we're his representatives. You will not talk to him. You will talk to us. They don't know anything about the situation other than the fact that their son's in a, a, their son and grandson has been in this accident. Yeah. They don't know details. They don't know anything. But they immediately squash all 
like Paul's side of the story. Hospital staff also witnessed Alex Murda going from room to room attempting to talk to the survivors and basically is reported like reportedly overheard saying on the phone, she's gone. Don't worry. He's a great guy. We we just so dismissive. Yeah. Paul was never given a sobriety test, but police did ask if they could give Connor one instead. You know, just not the driver, just someone who happened to be kind of up mm-hmm. where he was, like, by Paul. Yeah. But it doesn't matter about Paul. <laughs> We're going to just try to pin this on somebody else. So they ask if they can give Connor one. He didn't take one. And that's kind of where the investigation shifts to look at Connor instead of Paul. Because we can't, we can't prosecute a murder. Why would we do that? So yeah, you have Connor, who, as like first accounts are coming out, they try to say that anytime Paul would leave, Connor would just kind of stay up at the wheel and try to make sure, like, the boat was staying straight and, like, still guiding along. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why police were like, oh, oh, you touched the wheel? Let me let me give you a sobriety test. But not Paul. Yeah. So, <laughs> like I said, Paul's never given one. Connor deny, like, denies, like, having one given to him. And... The, like, investigation immediately starts shifting over to looking at Connor instead. So, Paul is able to go home that night with his family from the hospital. Tell me any case you know of that lets someone that is either the owner or operator of a vehicle of any sort that is involved in a a death or possible death where they let these people just go home. They don't even go to a station or jet. They go home. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm sure it's happened, but I'm like. Sure I can come up with some by the next episode. But like, <laughs> ugh, it's just like he gets to go home. He doesn't even stay in police custody. He goes home. Yeah. Investigators spent eight days searching for Mallory, and on March 3rd, two volunteers found her body five miles down the river from the boat crash. A month later, her family filed a wrongful death suit against the Murdaws, and on April 18th, 2019, on what would have been Mallory's 20th birthday, Paul was indicted and charged with three felony counts of boating under the influence including causing the death of Mallory Beach and seriously injuring two other passengers. He pled not guilty to all charges and was out on bond awaiting trial. And then on June 4, 2021, a court ordered mediation for the wrongful death lawsuit failed, which made the case bound for trial. And then on June 7th is when Paul is found dead. So then you get back to our timeline, and you have, unlike the investigation into the double homicide and these two other deaths that are linked, 
And on June 25th, the Murdoch family announced a $100,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in the double homicide. I'm just like, I think you need to look into your family for that information. Yep. On July 7th, attorneys representing Connor Cook filed a petition alleging law enforcement tried to shift the blame from Paul to Connor. No duh. <laughs> I think anybody could see that. Mm-hmm. And then on August 6th, the South Carolina Attorney General's office drops all charges against Paul Murda in the death of Mallory Beach due to his own death. So... This family is never going to get any sort of direct answers. Like Not justice for like again like for like Paul killing him, but that's why now we have so many separate lawsuits because at least they can go after like the convenience store and the bar and that to get some sort of justice for what happened. So, like I said, there's no justice for Mallory. There's still no justice for Stephen. And we're left with just all these, like, unanswered questions for these four different murders. And it kind of goes quiet for a little bit. Like, the news stops really reporting about it because of Gabby Petito breaking into, like, her missing person's case and all that breaking in. And people aren't as invested in trying to learn more about, like, it's still being researched, but it's not as widely publicized. Mm-hmm. And then we get into something that kind of brings it back in, but we're going to jump into that, into the part two of our talk about the Murdoch family, because, like I said, there I'm glossing over as much as I can, because... So I mean, many details. There, there's so much that you could just literally. You have someone that's made this a whole freaking podcast. <laughs> it's if you want details, you definitely need to go listen because she'll go into so much more. And there's stuff that I'm sure she's been able to find that is just not reported in other news articles. Well, 2020 even brought her in. To be like their informative source for that episode. Yeah, it's so if you watch that episode, you will see my girl being interviewed. Yeah, it's on camera. Like I said, so like this one, this first part, I wanted to focus on a little bit of Paul and Maggie's, but also getting into Paul's kind of past discretions and stuff, and kind of the first little blemishes on the Murdoch family. But in part two, we're going to learn all about Alex and his little first blemish on the uh, family. First known blemish? Yes. So, hope you enjoyed this. And I think we're going to kick you off to the last call. And be sure to tune in on part two. Part two. Welcome back to another last call with your bartender, Sloan. I just have two lighthearted uh, news stories to bring up the mood, the mood, the mood <laughs> after that case. So, my first one is, if you did not know, we both know, 
but uh, February 22nd is National Margarita Day, right? Right. Yes. So this year, Margarita Day fell on 2-22 of 22. On Taco Tuesday. On Taco Tuesday. Your girl Trish and I, we went out. We went for margaritas and Mexican. We always go on Mondays because that's our recording day and it's Mexican Monday. We both, like, that's the day that we just, we both have off pretty much every week. Every week. Not true for Valentine's Day this year because Valentine's Day was on a Monday. But every week we have Monday off. So we go to Mexican, we have margaritas, and then we come home and we record this joyous occasion for y'all. Last week, we went on Tuesday instead because it was Margarita Tuesday and it was Margarita Day, National Margarita Day. But my story that I have for you today is my soul, my soul sister, I guess. (laughs) There was a baby that was born at 2.22 a.m. on 2.22.22, the National Margarita Baby. So... Anyways, I just thought that that was pretty cool that there was somebody born at 222 on 222 22 22 22 22 22 22. It's a lot of twos. That's a whole lot of twos. I'm all about lucky numbers. So that baby will have a good life, I hope. My other story, because this episode, um, whenever we like look at our schedule, we kind of try to do uh, themes as yes. far as seasons and whatnot. So, on our schedule, we have these episodes marked as, like, St. Patrick's Day, because it's after Mardi Gras, but it's not quite St. Patrick's Day. So, on that note, random, but wanted to explain my thought process here. But a Canadian couple's dog gave birth to a rare green puppy. I feel like that's St. Patrick's Day appropriate. And that's yeah. Now we're back full circle altogether. But... In Nova Scotia, a couple whose three-year-old bulldog gave birth to a litter of eight dogs, they said they immediately noticed something unusual about one of the newborns. Her fur was dyed green. So they thought that their dog was finished delivering with her first seven puppies, but while they were cleaning the mom, she started to go into labor again, and that's whenever she had the last one that turned out to be green. They initially thought that she was a stillborn. They rushed to clean her and tried to get her to move and whatnot. And they noticed that something was wrong. So they Googled it. And apparently it is very rare. It's happened a few times over the world. But the rare discoloration has been documented. And it's believed to be caused by light-colored puppies coming into contact with the green pigments from bile while in the womb. No. So, if you want a green bulldog, I would not be opposed. <laughs> I would not be opposed. I like weirdos. And, yeah, I love bulldogs. I went to Mississippi State University, which is the home of, one of the home of the bulldogs. And while I know that bulldogs have a lot of, like, medical issues, I do still want a bulldog. Yeah, they're so. cute. So, I would take the green bulldog, but I thought it was a cute little story. And those were two little lighthearted, quick things to wrap up today's case. It was a little heavy, but we're going to get a little heavier in the next episode. But I hope you enjoyed this case. If you did, let us know on social media. You can also, you know, give us a rating, leave us a comment, send us an email. 
It is tequila she wrote across the board for all social medias. The email tequila she wrote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon up and running. You yes. get bonus episodes depending. Oh, excuse me. Margaritas. <laughs> but you get different bonus um Episodes, content yeah. content would be yeah bonus content depending on what tier you sign up for there's different episodes there's merchandise available all that good stuff we post our episodes here wherever you're listening to right now on tuesdays and fridays so remember to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and we'll see you next time thanks yep. for riding along on the hot mess express toot toot beep beep <laughs>